So as Matthew and I, Matthew, I'm looking at the book of Matthew, and I'm talking about Pastor Matt. As Matt and I were talking about this passage uh, in this sermon series, we were discussing whether or not we would do discipleship and evangelism together, discipleship and then evangelism, uh, and it kind of came to this conclusion that why not let the guy who really is passionate about discipleship and evangelism do both at the same time? Uh, for those of you that don't know, I'm currently getting my PhD in discipleship and evangelism, specifically evangelism and preaching. So evangelistic preaching is my primary focus. And you can thank my wife. I'm going to just put that out right now. She doesn't know I'm going to say this. But she came up to me as I was preparing my message and she said, Remember, Bruce, this is not a seminar. So before we begin, I'm, I want to just tell you, we're going to anchor in two specific passages. One is the Great Commission found in Matthew 28, and the other one is a little bit more obscure. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 4. The reason why these are so important is because the first is the final declare, declaration of Jesus, his command to his disciples uh, before he left this earth. His final command, do this, right? And 2 Timothy 4 is in the same sense, it's... Paul's final command to the person he had been mentoring, Timothy. He knew he was about to die. This was about the, the last time he knew he was going to have a chance to talk to him. And so he imparted to him his wisdom. But before we begin, it's important for us to recognize something very important about both discipleship and evangelism. Okay? Neither of those words occur in the Bible. You can look, you won't find it. The closest you can get to discipleship is the word disciple. So it naturally infers that discipleship is part of the Bible, right? But it's never actually explicitly said. But we can see it practiced and lived out in all of the Bible. In the same way, the word evangelism, you will not find that one in the Bible. What you will find is probably the closest is a Greek word, euangelion, which means the good news, was what we call the gospel. And over time, we have created this word, this theological word called evangelism that denotes when we practice the art of sharing our faith, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But neither of those words are in the Bible. It's like the word trinity, you won't find it. Hypostatic union, you won't find it. Uh, scores of theological ideas and concepts that we hold near and dear, but you don't find those terms in the Bible. Well, why am I telling you this? I'm so glad you asked. You guys are so sharp this morning. Here's why I'm telling you this. Because fundamentally, we have to know that there is a chain of custody that we must follow when we are talking about doctrine. This is what we're talking about. Evangelism, discipleship, these are doctrines of the church. And we don't just willy-nilly pull them from the air and go, oh, I'm going to believe this one. I'm going to believe that God is a chicken because the Bible says he will protect me with his feathers and his wings. We just don't do that. But what we do understand is because we believe in the inspiration of Scripture, amen? The inerrancy of Scripture, amen? The infallibility of Scripture, Amen? and the sufficiency of Scripture over our lives. Amen? Amen? Then we go to the source. So here's what I'm going to tell you. And I don't normally tell you to write things down, but I'm going to encourage you to write this down. Scripture informs our theology, what we think and know about God. Our theology informs our doctrine. 
those ideas and concepts about God that we've reflected on and meditated on, like salvation, what that means, what that looks like. And our doctrine should inform or dictate our practice as a church. So we're going to talk about the doctrine of evangelism and discipleship. And let's begin with God's Word in Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 19 and 20. Here we go. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We do evangelism, we do discipleship because Jesus commands us to do it. Let me give you a quick analogy here. Um, How many times can a husband cheat on his wife and still be classified as faithful? Thank you. I heard a zero over here. That took a long time. Zero. Right? How many times can a police officer let the bad guy go willingly and still be a good cop? Zero, right? How many times can a politician take a bribe and still be a good politician? Did you say once? Oh, negative one. Oh, thank you. I heard once and I was going to be like, we got we to gotta change course and we got to repent. Okay, none, right? In the same way, when we obey God's command, or sorry, when we disobey God's commands, what are we doing? We're sinning. Okay? But wait. There's hope. Because we sang about Jesus this morning. And look, last time I checked, y'all's a bunch of sinners. And last time I checked, I am a sinner. But by the grace of God, we have hope. So before we get too far into the weeds about, you know, complete and utter obedience, which is what we should strive for, we need to recognize there's also grace because we will fall short time and time again. We'll talk about that in a second. So as we kind of dig in, I'm going to, I'm going to show you that discipleship and evangelism, that's my argument today, that they are the same thing. They are two sides of the same coin. That you cannot have one without the other. You cannot have effective discipleship that does not Go into evangelism. If you stop short discipling somebody where that person is no longer sharing the gospel, you have failed. On the flip side, if you're going out and you're just sharing the gospel left and right, but you're not following up and making disciples and teaching them to obey what Christ has commanded, you have equally failed. We must learn to live in the tension of how these play together. So for clarity, because these words are not found in the Bible, uh, and there's lots of definitions for these these terms, they they overlap a lot, but there's a lot of confusion because of this. I'm going to give you some definitions that we're going to work from this morning. So evangelism is the Holy Spirit-empowered proclamation of the gospel by every disciple of Jesus, compelling the lost to turn to him in repentance and faith and instructing them to walk in obedience. That is our definition of evangelism this morning. 
Simply put, it's telling people about Jesus and then showing them how to live it. What is discipleship then? Well, discipleship is the process by which those who have placed faith and trust in Jesus Christ through repentance conform more and more to the image of Christ through obedience to His teachings by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's where I get this. When we're reading the Bible, there's, there's things we need to look for. There's commands. Okay? They're called imperatives. There's an imperative. And a lot of times people get confused and think the word that's the imperative is go. He's telling them, go, get out of here, go, do this thing. But actually in the original language, the go is subordinate or comes under the authority of the main imperative, which is make. So that word make disciples is a form of the word disciple. And I want to pause for just a second and tell you this. Ending in the book of Acts, the word disciple is no longer used in the Bible. But you see it. Because what we're making is disciples, but it's not disciples of Bruce. Paul said that some water and some sow, but God brings the increase, right? He's talking about himself and this guy named Apollos. People were disciples of them, but Paul's arguing, no, 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 no. You're not a disciple of Bruce. You're not a disciple of Matt. You're not a disciple of Shannon. You are a disciple of Christ, and we are disciples together. Jesus Christ is our paragon. Like that plug? Amen, right? He is our standard of excellence that we are striving towards. He's the discipler. We are all the disciples. So that word, make disciples, it's the creation of something new from nothing. So I'm going to go over to Shannon, my wife. She's been a Christian for a while. And I'm going to, I'm going to convert her and make her a disciple. Is that how that works? No. Because she's already a disciple of Jesus. So we can logically articulate and understand that when we're making disciples, we're sharing the gospel with somebody who's never heard it or is not in a relationship with Jesus. Evangelism is at the heart of the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples. A better translation of that word go is as you are going, which means the mission field that you have before you is where you go to work. It's where you stop and get coffee. It's where you live your everyday, sometimes mundane life, right? Sometimes the monotony of life, but that's a mission field that God has called you to, to make disciples. You cannot make disciples if you do not open your mouth. Because Romans tells us that faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of Christ. That is the gospel. But closely connected is this idea of teaching. We are to teach people to observe everything that He has commanded. One of my favorite arguments when I talk to people about the gospel and they're like, well, Jesus never said anything about that. Who do you think was there when he wrote the Bible? I mean, don't we believe in a Trinitarian theology that God was there at the beginning? I remember reading that in John chapter 1. I could argue that from Genesis chapter 1. Jesus was there. 
So teaching them to obey all that He's commands requires training. What we call discipleship. Because He promises to be with us always. Colossians, Paul writes this, and I wanted to highlight this, but didn't put it in the notes. It's this. In one twenty-eight, he says, We proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Look, I'm going to just real quick exegete this passage. The words I want to talk about are admonishing and teaching. Another way to phrase admonishing is warning. Look, I'm going to present the gospel to both believers and non-believers. To believers, it is to teach them to be more like Jesus, just like I'm trying to be more like Jesus. But to the non-believers, it's a warning. There is one way to heaven and one way only, and that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. doesn't matter how good or bad you think you are, it is the blood of Jesus that sets us apart. It's the blood of Jesus that saves us, and it's the blood of Jesus that sanctifies us. And both of those things go hand in hand. And it's important to remember that Jesus put the ordering in the Great Commission because it was intentional. You make, then you teach. And then you make, and then you teach. And if this was a shampoo bottle, it would say rinse and repeat. Right? I guess it would say lather, rinse, and repeat. So that's my argument from Matthew. They're intrinsically connected. They're literally two sides of the same coin. You cannot have one without the other. So we we make disciples and we evangelize because Christ commanded it and they are the same thing. They feed into each other. And I I cannot stress that enough. But then we go to Paul's letter in Second uh, Timothy chapter four. I'm going to read that passage for us this morning. Solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who has loved his appearing. Paul, in this passage, gives us nine commands, nine imperatives, and I'm not going to go through all of them because it's just, we don't have time. That's why I struggle with doctrinal sermons because I really want to dig into the awesomeness that's in this passage, but for time, I can't. 
So we're going to quickly go through this. The first thing is we proclaim the gospel. So the word is preach the word. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. A lot of times, there's some, some misunderstanding of what this word's translating. Okay? A lot of times we hear it ascribed to preachers. Hey, preachers need to preach the Bible, preach Scripture, preach the Word only. And although I agree with that, that's not what this passage is talking about. And I'll give you two reasons why. The word that's used for preach is the Greek word karukson. That means nothing to you. But that means everything to me. Because what that means is that it's not just talking about a public proclamation of Sunday morning service. It literally means a public proclamation of the divine things of God. So when we preach, it's not a guy in a sports coat standing here with a microphone lecturing It's you and me here in our office, at the Starbucks, at McDonald's, wherever you find yourself, your command is to proclaim the Word. What does the Word mean? So a lot of times people argue that they're talking about Scripture, right? Preach the Scriptures. Preach the Bible. So when you evangelize, use Scripture. Now, I think that's a good point, and we should strive towards that, because in my opinion, estimation from what I've read of the Bible, is faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. And so it's the Word of God that transforms hearts and minds, and not my inability to speak. It's Christ and His Word that changes hearts and minds. So when he talks about Word here, he's not talking about Scripture. And here's why I'm arguing that. If you turn just a few verses earlier, Paul writes and says, All Scripture is God-breathed. And the word that he uses there is graphe, to write. But the word that he's using here is logon, or word. It's the same word in John chapter 1 that's ascribed to Jesus. In the beginning was the logon, the word of God. And the word was with God. The Word was God. And all things were made through Him and by Him and ultimately to Him. We'll argue about that in a second. So we're talking about preaching the Word. The Word used here by Paul is most often attributed to the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. So let's change that for just a second to proclaim the Gospel. Exalt Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord Preach the Word. Another interesting point is this idea of be ready in season and out of season. And I wanted to address this one real quick because it's super super confusing. What does that mean? So remember that Paul is writing to a group of people that you're either a fisherman or you're a farmer. So he's using farm terminology. The same that Jesus did. Parable of the sower and reaper. And here he's saying, be ready in season and out of season. And a lot of people take that to mean that it's, it's whether or not you're ready, right? Whether it's your season to preach and proclaim, be ready. Whether it's your season to preach and proclaim, be ready. But I think that's a, a, an accurate translation because if you look at the rest of this passage, 
Paul is not talking about Timothy himself until later. Here he's talking about an external view, an outward-looking view. Now I'm hoping this will blow your mind the way it blew my mind, because this is so cool. To speculate on the soil of the heart that you're preaching to. Soil is ready to be sowed, or whether or not it's ready to be reaped, you preach the gospel. Be ready in season and out of season. Be ready to sow and be ready to reap. Look towards the gospel with expectancy. While I don't want to belabor that point, I think it's important for us to recognize it's the Scriptures that He points to the Gospel and not the Word itself. Now, again, I would argue that, man, if you're not sure what to say when sharing the Gospel, follow the Romans' road. For the wages of sin is death. And we've all earned those wages. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Look at Ecclesiastes 7.10. For there is none who are righteous. No, not one who continually does good. Look to Isaiah. All we like sheep have gone astray and the sins of us all were put upon Him. So many times the Bible says it more clearly and more succinctly than I ever could. And so we must not get caught up in saying the right words. Just say something. And if you're not sure what to say, tell your story. I know that we live in a society that's like, oh yeah, but that's, that's your truth and I'm going to live my truth. But the reality is telling your story about what Christ has done in your life opens an avenue for the Holy Spirit to minister to them and draw their heart in. So in conjunction with proclaiming the gospel, we must also be willing to teach through the gospel. So what he says here next, and I'm going to skip most of these for their depth, but just going to go into them real quick, is to reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. He's giving Timothy this idea and understanding of teaching, sharing, through the gospel, from the gospel, preach the gospel. But then we are also to maintain faithfulness. Again, I'm skipping ahead because there's a lot here, and if I'm not careful, I'm going to be very, very... Uh, 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 I'm sorry, I'll just ramble is really what it was because I get excited about this. But we're to retain our faithfulness to the gospel. We must be faithful to the gospel. And this is the point I want to get to. Specifically, I'm going to spend a little time here. Okay? When he's talking about that, he's saying this. What does he say? He says, Be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist fulfill your ministry he's compelling him right on the heels of preach the gospel proclaim the gospel he's warning him to be sober in all things now he's not talking about alcohol although a case can be made for that but i've heard people use that and that's actually inappropriate what it's talking about is be con- be self-controlled in all things 
Just the same way that a few verses earlier, he's talking about people tickling their ears and chasing the things of their will and not the things of God. He's cautioning Timothy, guard yourself with self-control. Do not go that path. But we can anchor his caution and his warning and his instruction back to preaching the gospel. So here's the thing. Hopefully you'll understand by now that the gospel is not only for the unsaved. The gospel is for everyone. And the more that we see the gospel, the more our hearts should pine and love Jesus. So I'm going to encourage you, not only do we share the gospel with those around us, Take five minutes out of your day and preach the gospel to yourself. Preach to yourself the gospel of Jesus Christ. Alistair Begg said this, and I I just couldn't help but quote it. It's amazing to me. He said this, Without the preaching of the cross to ourselves all day and every day, we will very quickly revert to a faith plus works as the ground of our salvation. And I will find myself beginning to trust myself and trust my experience, which is part of the fallenness as a man. If I take my eyes off the cross, then I can only give lip service to its efficacy. It's the cross of Jesus Christ that saves. He gave this analogy, and I wasn't really going to steal it, but I'm going to steal it anyway because it's such a beautiful analogy. You've heard the, that saying probably before. When people evangelize, they'll oftentimes use that question, if you were to die today and stand before God, what would you say to let Him let you in? And it's a great segue to have the spiritual conversation that we all really pine for. And most spiritual people and most non-spiritual people would say, well, I'm a good person. I do more good than I do bad. But what he argues, what Beg argues, is the fact that the moment you put an I in the answer to that question, you've already missed the point. Because it's not about I, it's about Jesus. It's not what I do or what I have done that sets me apart. It's about the work of the cross and my absolute and utter dependence upon Him. Christ died so that I could be in right relationship with with him it wasn't him responding to my phone call hey man i'm having a struggle here can you hook a brother up no the bible clearly says that while i was an enemy of christ while i was a child of wrath i was already headed to hell And Jesus stepped in on the scene because of how great He is and how great His love is. And I I cannot talk about the beauty of the Gospel without this. Because I know, like Paul, I am the chief of sinners. Wretched man that I am, why do I do what I don't want to do And don't do what I should. 
Paul first said those words, but honestly, I would fight him on those. I'm totally that guy. But it's the gospel. The gospel that saves. Look at the man on the cross next to Jesus. Moments before his death, he was mocking Christ with his friend. Maybe they're friends, maybe they weren't. I'm just assuming things. Both the thieves on the cross were mocking Jesus. At the last minute, the one thief turns to Jesus and says, Please, don't forget me. When you go into paradise, don't forget me. A moment of repentance. And so when he died, he got to heaven. The angel of the Lord was there. He's like, um, what are you doing here? I was like, I don't know. I mean, I was on this cross and I was dead and here I am. Well, did you understand the doctrinal issues of salvation by faith alone? As Ephesians 2.8 tells us, no. Well, did you understand the ramification of the blood poured out of Christ on the cross and the idea and doctrine of imputation versus impartation? No. Well, did you at least understand the triune nature of the divine God that rules heaven and earth? No. Well, hold on a second. Let me get my supervisor. The supervisor will come and be like, hey, so um, you don't understand any of this stuff. No. Even heard of the Bible? Nope. Then why are you here? And he'll just simply say, I don't know. But the man on the middle cross said I could come. I say that because the reality is we can get hung up and spun around with all these doctrinal things. Who's right? Who's wrong? Which eschatology? Which uh, uh, soteriology? Which whatever-ology you want to throw in there? But fundamentally, it's about Christ and Him crucified. And there was a, a Lutheran theologian by the root of, name of Rupertus Meldinius. I love it because his actual name was Peter Wenger. But they, na- they changed his name. Lutherans are weird. <laughs> Good thing this is live. We can't take it out. But he said this, and I love this quote. In essentials, we need unity. In non-essentials, we need diversity. But in all things, we need charity or grace. We need to recognize that it's not how right our theology is. It's about when our bad theology is approached and accosted by Scripture, how do we respond? Let us respond with grace. Let us respond understanding that it is Christ who saves. That the man on the middle cross said I could come. And I will cling to that till my dying day. There are things that I hold that I know are not great and there are things that I hold that I know are rock solid 
And the rock solid that I hold is Christ and Him crucified. And I hold it with a closed fist. And everything else I will hold with an open hand. Knowing that I am human and I could be wrong. So that when it comes time that I am being poured out as an offering like Paul. I too can have these words of confidence of verse 7. And I will conclude with this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. If you're here this morning or you're hearing these words online this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is a personal and vibrant one, let me encourage you. Let today be the day of your salvation. You are made in the image of God, but because of sin, you've been separated from Him. But because of Christ's great love and mercy, He came and bore that pain and purchased your soul. But it doesn't just stop there. A gift that is given that is never opened and used means nothing. You must take and embrace that gift. That gift of salvation is yours. And before we carry on, let me just tell you flat out, there is no gray area with Jesus. You are either on His side or you are against Him. There is no halfway. Let today be that day that you cry out knowing that your sin has separated you and that only He can bridge that gap. Let today be that day of your salvation. And friend, if you are here this morning, brothers and sisters, if you have put that faith in Jesus Christ, if it is alive in you, if you are confident in that knowledge of Christ's saving work, let today be a challenge to you in two ways. Share the gospel and grow disciples. Because there's no other way for you to be faithful to honor God in the place that He's called you to. That is paramount upon your life. It is the last command that Jesus gave in Matthew 28. It's the last command that He gave. This is not a command, it's actually a declaration that He gave in Acts 1.8. Talking to His disciples, but I think it applies to us, that you will be my witnesses. Let us today choose to commit to pray for, love on, share with, engage with, and reach out to the person we know in our lives that is far from Christ. You may be, and I may be, the only person to share Jesus with them. Let us pray. Father God, I come before you and I thank you for an opportunity to talk about the importance of evangelism and discipleship in our lives. But more than that, I'm just so grateful for an opportunity to once again proclaim the greatness of the cross. Jesus, you are more beautiful than we could ever imagine. And your grace is sufficient for us. 
Let us come to you that we can come boldly on that day and say, I have fought the good fight. I have run the race. I have kept the faith. And let us look to you as the one who empowered and equipped us by the power of the Holy Spirit to do so. It is in Jesus' beautiful name that we pray. Amen.